0: Hi, everyone. This is Mike Olson, Director of Development with Stand Up for Kids Orange County and host of the Listen Up podcast, the podcast for Stand Up for Kids. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Costa Mesa City Councilman Chavez, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about his kind of pathways to becoming a city councilman, um, what some of the uh, current things that he's working on are, how they relate to homelessness and kind of get a little bit about maybe his future trajectory and where he wants to go. Um, so welcome, Councilman. It's good to have you.
1: Thank you for having me, Michael. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for your time today. So let's start off. Uh, just tell us what your current role in government is.
1: Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm Manuel Chavez, Councilmember in District 4 in the heart of West Head Coast of Mesa. I am your Councilmember if you live in the borders roughly of uh, west of Harbor, east of Placentia, south of the golf course, and then north of uh, 16th Street, roughly speaking. I am your representative for all things city council. So, essentially, I am voting on items on the agenda, and I am fielding requests from residents in, in my district.
0: And how, how long have you been a city council member? Maybe.
1: So, it's going to be two years in about two months. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still in my first two years of my councilman term. Crazy to think how, how, much, how fast time flies sometimes, though.
0: And how long is a term in city council?
1: Yeah, so a term in Costa Mesa it's four years. Four years. So in, in Costa Mesa, yeah, so in Costa Mesa you, um, you can run for two terms, both four years, so for a total of eight years. So I'm 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 in the I'm in the midpoint of my my first term, hopefully.
0: And I'm going to cut to the chase. So how how old are you, sir? I
1: am uh, 25.
0: When we talked a few weeks ago, that was one of our points of discussion. Is in- Okay. So you, you came into office at 23, right?
1: Yeah. Correct. Correct.
0: So uh, a 23 year old city councilman is a, uh, an anomaly. You could, I think is a, <laughs> maybe a fair way to say it. Can you put that some context around that? Were you the youngest councilman? Yeah. In-
1: <clears throat> yeah. So, so my, my election was one of a lot of firsts, which was kind of interesting because I'd not really run knowing these, these things, but. I am the youngest council member in Orange County. I, I beat, uh, Connor Trout in Buena Park, Mayor for the time Connor Trout, because he's 26. So I'm one year younger than him. And I'm also the youngest in the history of Costa Mesa, I believe, alongside being the first Latino, alongside Arliss Reynolds and Andrea Moore. So, um, my election really was an election of, of many firsts. You know, it was in 2018. So it was kind of the, the change election year. People wanted to see change. It was the first time. Uh, Costa Mesa went towards district elections. So I actually didn't run at large the whole city of Costa Mesa. I just ran in my district, which I described earlier. And, you know, same, same thing for customer Mar in district three and, and Reynolds in district five. And then, you know, this year we're going to do the, the next three districts, district one, which is Mesa Verde, district two, which is near Tacos Plaza and Hellcrest, and district three, which is east side of Costa Mesa. So we're kind of transitioning into a more localized form of city council government. I really felt that was actually a big benefit to me as a 23-year-old running because, you know, a lot of the arguments you'll hear when you're young is that, like, oh, like, what do you know? Like, like what's your experience? Like, how are you qualified to be in this position? And that becomes a lot harder to, to peg me on when I grew up in my district, right? Like, anytime someone would mention my age, I would point out a fact in their street because I grew up here. So I'd say, by the way, that crack there is in this house, I was, like, 10. Like, I know to all the, it people, And, like, it, I kind of demonstrated a sense of, like, I, what I may lack in terms of, like, quote unquote, professional experience, I don't lack in terms of knowing my community and knowing my district. And I just think that's a blessing in itself having more local like elections because you have the opportunity to get people in the south who are younger into government and making decisions that really impact young people. Because, you know, we do a lot of things in Costa Mesa, right? We, we vote on housing. We vote on homeless shelters. We vote on budgets. You know, we, we do a lot. And. It's really important to like know that if you're young and and your city has district elections, your pathway to get council might be a lot easier than than you think. So
0: in 2018, they changed from citywide district elections to district mm-hmm. election process. Yeah. So, okay. And that. So if I'm in district two and I'm voting on a city councilman in district four, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah. It is a uh, it's harder for that outsider to kind of critique, or, or they they don't get the opportunity to critique you now mm-hmm. this election style.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's it's I think that's a very important distinction right there that you mentioned. Like people from outside your 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 district, you know, they can criticize you. I mean, agree with your policies, for example, but ultimately it matters is that community itself. And I and I think this is like a natural trend in in governments for the past couple of years to kind of go towards the district elections um in city councils you know it's primarily been motivated by the fact that there's some districts like Cosumnes for example that had about 36% um Latino population roughly speaking but never had anyone in city council be Latino so the push coming the state california is like saying hey like for those of you who don't have cities that are um welcoming to minority candidates like perhaps you should go to district elections I think it's a good thing, honestly. Prior to councils, like when I was, you know, 16, voting for the first time in Coast Politics, right? We were still at large. And everyone I voted for lived in areas that weren't my area. So it, it almost felt like this thing of like, well, if an issue comes up, like, who do I talk to? Because, like, the people I voted for don't even live in my area. Like, Like, perhaps they're my party, or perhaps they're, like, my ideology, but, like, they're not in my community. And I think sometimes people don't understand how how city council really isn't as partisan as people think it is. Like, you know, like, you're always going to hear the, the big votes, right? Because they're the big ones that are contentious. But, like, what you don't see is, like, the pothole being fixed that gets voted on 7-0. Or what you don't see is, like, the new, new light that's going getting get installed or a new stop sign that's voted on 7-0. Like, a lot of the things that we do at city council are, like, locally oriented. And I think having districts makes it so much easier for residents to actually know what to go to and have the concerns be addressed. So I think it's a really good thing.
0: And that's a, that's refreshing to hear in this really polarized political environment that we have that, hey, actually at a city level, when you're in in city council making decisions, that doesn't always have, that noise doesn't always have to be there. Yeah. So that's, that's refreshing. I think that's, that's cool. That's a, you're giving a cool insight to people like, that might be a little jaded um overall with politics That
1: i mean honestly i can't blame them though given the environment we've been going through these past like just these past this past year i mean everything's been coming so right like even wearing a mask is political it's just you know to me it's kind of gnarly i think that's the thing but you know i just think you know we're we're in the area of, of hyper partisanship. like we're just so polarized and i think it's going to take us as a country kind of looking at ways to not be so polarized. And I think city council is one of those spaces where, like, if you generally just want to make a like a quick fix in your community, like, see if you can get a stop sign, see if you can, like, extend a park. Like, those are things that are pretty apolitical that can get a lot of support and, you know, I feel like you've accomplished something. and Not just, like, been bogged down by, like, the red-blue hoo-ha of, like, fighting and arguing and stuff.
0: Yeah, that's, I wanted to ask you about that too. So we work our I work for a nonprofit. we're standing for kids, obviously. <laughs> we are apolitical, um, so we do not pick a side on political subjects. And we are careful that when we stand for an issue or we advocate for something that we try to stay out of the fray. So then even in podcasts like this, like I have to constantly be thinking about that as well. And I know which issues, like masks or other things, are going to be taken politically, and I try to kind of steer away from some of those subjects. You are in a position where you make decisions about those subjects, and you know the, I mean, you know the political ramifications of some of those things as well, obviously. So, I guess the question is like, how do you deal with that? politically charged issue knowing you're probably going to take some flack for saying something but also being in a position where you need to say something
1: yeah that's a a great question um i think the probably the best way to answer is to probably explain my thought process on votes because um you know one of the things that council members really do is make decisions right that's like really our what our job boils down sometimes right you get information and you decide from it so Let's use, let's use the, uh, if you want to change the example, we'll change it, but like the mask, right? For example, the mask policy. We, every, every Thursday before a council meeting, we get a binder and it has every item on the agenda, right? So <clears throat> typically speaking, there's, t- there's two types of items. There's items that are on consent calendar, which are voted on by a simple one vote. Like you just vote for them all at once, unless you want to pull an item or, or take it out of that queue to like debate individually. And then there's items that are called new business, which are the more contentious items that will require more debate and discussion. So what I like doing is on Thursday and Friday, I'll read the agenda packet, right? I'll post questions to myself that I want to ask staff. And then the weekend, you know, like usually on Friday, Saturday, people start emailing you or calling you about items, pick them up. And then I do my best to meet be with everybody and, and read every email. And then I kind of start painting a picture of like, okay, this is what, this is what the community is saying. This is what certain so interest groups are saying about about this policy, right? The math policy, for example. So by that point, by like Saturday, Sunday, I've already had my own reading of, of the agenda and people people who are reaching out to me, like on their own. Come Monday, I usually meet with City Manager, Lori Ann Harris, for my for my review of the agenda. And I asked the asked the questions I had. And then if she answers them, great. If she doesn't, I'll answer ask them publicly. Um then comes Tuesday, right? The day of the vote. So during, during every item that comes up, public has the opportunity to speak. So what happens first is we'll go over the item, you know, staff will give a review of the, of the item. So math policy in Costa Mesa. Here are the pros. Here, here's what we think we should do it. Then we'll hear public comment. And then at the public comment, that's when I decide, right? So it's kind of funny because I'm taking like, a, like five days to like deliberately process these, these items. And then by the time it gets to my, to my vote, you know, me personally, I'm always weighing a couple of things. I'm always like, all right, like, what did people say? Like, you know, like, oh, masks are uncomfortable, or masks are, an un-American. You know, someone's saying, oh, I'm scared to go outside. Like, I want to open my business, but my, you know, my employees are scared. I kind of weigh what I'm hearing, like, and 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 then, you know, I kind of off of what I've read in the report, off of what I've asked staff, off of what I've heard from residents, I will decide. I'll make a decision. That's the the longer form of, of saying like you basically listen to everybody, right? <laughs> long story short, listen to everybody because you never know what point of view is going to come up. And I think one of the things as a council member that I was taught early on was my staff, you know, I'm close to my staff and I got elected, they, they give me one piece of advice. They're like, hey, like, if you can decide on the dais after everyone speaks and not come in with a pre mind, that's a lot better for your community because it means you actually listen to them. So, you know, some items, you know, doing potholes, I kinda of have a, a general sense of like, yeah, I support this, but I still want to hear out everyone. Because I think part of my job as a council member really is to to serve my community and, and listen to their needs. And, you know, if I come in with an idea preset, that's not it's not right. I can come in with a with a bias or come in come in with a, with a preference, but I cannot, with a consciousness, ignore the other people's advice or opinions. I need to hear everyone out. So I guess kind of high to it. I mean, you know, sometimes in the calculations, you think about politics. I personally don't like thinking that way. I, I genuinely feel like a lot of things we vote on are not very partisan. And then even when they can be viewed as partisan, I don't think they're that partisan. Personally, so that's not. That's yeah. True. So
0: I guess, um, let's maybe we stick with the masks. I'm not sure. But yeah. Have you, have you dealt with, uh, I don't know if backlash is the right word, but you yeah. like, had a controversial, Vote or something that has then kind of had some re- political ramifications after
1: the fight? Or not really? I think the mask one, I think the mask, no, I think, I think there are. Maybe you don't see them sometimes because it might be yeah. subtler, but I think the mask one is probably the best example of it, right? Like, we, we've we had protests against masks, right? I think last weekend we had one at Mother's. Mind you, we're recording this on, uh, I think it's yeah. August 24th. So, yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> quick, crazy. quick tangent in case we're in the future and like, Yes, it's like not last week, but yeah. I mean, like last week, you know, we had a protest in uh, at mothers, but for not wearing masks, and you know, people have protested at city hall before or during meetings, particularly for like the five G vote we took in a, early in the year. You know, it happens. I, I think there's an illusion from politicians sometimes that like, like you don't want to like not offend anybody, you don't want to like make anyone feel uncomfortable with a vote you take or, or not happy with a vote you take. But I think ultimately, when you're making decisions, like, like, there's just going to always be some people that just don't agree with it. And I think the important thing for me as someone who's voting is, you know, like, can I explain my decision? You know, if someone if someone asks me, like, can I explain why I did it? And can I stand by it? Right? Like, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Like, can I can I can I can I make a vote? I have heard everything I've heard from everyone else. And then can I stand by my vote? And I think as long as I, and that's how I approach voting, like, if you ask about the able I've taken, I'll do my best to re- recall what I was going through and give you the answers. You know, with the mask policy, I'll be upfront, like, my, my focus point was really two things. It was safety in my community, because I think masks do help people, you know, not for the viruses effectively, because it's something that's blocking your, your water molecules to someone else. And two, like, it was for the businesses. Like, I, I want to have our business open up as soon and safely as possible. And what I don't want to see happen is us not have guidelines, and then have them keep shutting down because someone gets COVID in their staff because they weren't proper protocol. And I think personally, like that was the first step to getting us back to normal and having things open up. Because you know that to me is something that we need to address going forward in this crisis. Like we're we're coming down the first wave finally. We're a bit behind the world, but you know is what it is. We're we're coming down now. We're we're in the slope right. As of this week, I think Orange County is finally, like, off the watch list for the state of California, which is good. But I'm focusing on the economic ramifications now, right? Like, people have been out of jobs for a while. Like, our efficient moratorium is going to expire at the end of the month unless Gavin Newsom extends it. You know, we still need to get people jobs. Like, we still need to get sure our businesses are opening up. We're not out of the woods yet. And I just think, like, when you make a decision you have on something, like, you got to just explain why, stand by it, and move forward. because. You can't be looking back because if you look back, you're going to miss the new issues coming up.
0: I'm going to change topics a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get, get a little bit away from politics again. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you just about your, I want to go back to your age, which probably isn't your like, favorite topic of the world, but just coming in, let's go back to like being 23 and starting as a new uh, council, council member and you're the youngest. So there's older, wiser, people around you what's it like what's it like in that environment uh is it, is it intimidating what's going on in your brain kind of as a new guy young guy trying to yeah. get your, your your sea legs
1: yeah no that's a great question it's a really great question and um it was it was strange up, up, obviously up front it was it was very strange like being 23 year old in the world like people don't tend to respect you like not saying that people are rude or anything but, like they don't look they don't look they look down you sometimes right like you know they assume you're out partying you're they assume you're out like just being a young a young person like just having fun and that's kind of like what the whole world is treating me as like a young person so like to go from being a young person running for office to actually being the official where where staff is like asking you for things like and staff is like going to you and saying like hey do you need anything else like it was a really like mind, like mind-turning thing, and I, I think part of it too. Like, I think part of it comes from the fact of how I grew up too, right? Like, and you know, I'll get, I'll be honest here. Like, I had, a bit, I, I had a bit of an imposter, imposter syndrome after I got elected. It, it was trippy, like being 20 years old and be a physician because you meet people, and you're like, do you respect me or my title? And, and like, it, it's like a weird, like mind, mind thing, like that I was going through sometimes, where it's like. I was having to find my my place in this position. Mm-hmm. I was having to find how I could be my most authentic self in this position. And, you know, over time it became easier and I got more accustomed to be a council member and I got more used to it. But I know like the first few months, like I would never mention honesty to council to people. Like I just wouldn't bring it up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had, I had experiences with dating actually where like we go out on a date and the girl will bring it up more than I bring it up to like other people. Like it was one of those things where like I wasn't fully comfortable with being member yet, and I think it was wasn't because I couldn't do the job because I was already doing it. I just felt like I had to learn to like accept that I'm in this position and learn to be comfortable with it and learn that I do belong here, right? It's it's and, and you know sometimes sometimes I like I like I like you know you kind of like have this moment of like do I belong here? Like you know we hear a lot of rhetoric sometimes where people like. Like diminishing us and like questioning us, you know, saying we, we get only we get to because affirmative action and you know, that kind of does bug you down, down, down a little bit. And I think for me, like, it did take those like eight months. Like, I don't think until August I felt fully comfortable with my position. And I, I just say that honestly because, you know, in, in almost anything in life you do, not just counsel, which is a pretty big deal, like, you are gonna feel uncomfortable when you do new things sometimes. And that's okay. Like, that's part of the process. But it was definitely an interesting experience having to, like, manage that internally.
0: So, yeah, so I'm a little bit older than you. And I know where I was when I was 23. And I was not, I can't say I couldn't have been a city council member. That was, like, whatever. Went to college, got a master's, pretty well educated. Um, But my mindset was not in, like, a, I don't know, I was, you know, kind of in the party mindset, like back to what you were talking about a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's interesting I wanna get like what was the motivation for wanting to be a city council member at that
1: age? Um, you know, like early early on like in my life when I was when I was nine, um that was the O four election, right? Bush versus versus Kerry. Okay. And my my dad actually and I like he's kind of hard talk sometimes, like he's an older gentleman you know, he he, he, he was older, you know, his own personal experience with family was kind of rough sometimes. So, like he doesn't really know how to express feelings sometimes the best way, you know, it happens. Um, but, but, you know, he loves me. And it was during that Oh four election cycle when he watched debates and he'd be like, Hey, like, you know, who has a better point carrier or, or Bush? Why do you think so? Like I, that was the one of the politics is one of the few ways that I can talk to my dad that like, I would get a, like, a positive response and, and he actually, like, talked, talked to me like, for a long time. I think that was kind of the seat of politics, right? Like, just like the innate, like, oh, like, this is how I can talk to my dad about it. My okay. mom's, on my mom's, yeah, my mom's side, right? My mom is younger. You know, she, um, had me at 18. <clears throat> and, and one of the things my mom always, always did was, like, she, if she could, she would help. So I remember being, like, four and, or five, and she would, like, volunteer at, at, at like, at, like, parent conferences. And like these, and like watch the kids while the parents were getting trained on on how to like parent. Um, and like that was like my, my first range into public service, right? So I was like six, five or six, going with my mom, bringing all my toys I had, sharing them with other kids, and like playing with kids. And that was like my service act, right? Because my mom always did this. Like, right? you know, when she was older, she you know she went, she became PTA president and and at the moment school, I didn't even know that. <laughs> um. She was always trying ways to like get involved and help. So I think those two things, like my dad being political and I talked to him and my mom always wanted to serve, kind of put the seed in me to like, hey, like I could probably do this thing together. So fast track to when I'm 15 in 2010 in Costa Mesa, you know, the prior council did a lot of decisions I didn't really agree with, particularly in my neighborhood. I realized like, oh, like if you don't have a voice in public opinion and discussion, like you're going to be ignored because... There were things they were doing in my community that like no one was, no one liked. So, like, like they were objective. Yeah.
0: So let's just dot the I. Uh, so at 15, you are paying attention yeah. to
1: city politics and what's Yeah. Going on. So what 15 year old doing that? <laughs> well, okay. Well, to be fair, like, you know, like, and it, it's, I, I'm, I might throw some, some fellows, fellows here, but I'm, I'm just going to say what it was. Like, it was seeing my friends be evicted from their apartments because they got me into the condos right like that that's what it was like in my district, that was what was going on like there were certain apartment complexes that were people being evicted, and then they were becoming condominiums and you know I mentioned earlier the Hispanic kind of guilt like feeling you don't belong
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know hindsight is twenty twenty right back in '06, six coast had a country with ice right, so in my community. From, like, middle school, like, from middle school, there was a saying where it's, like, just don't call the police because, you know, like, they're going to deport you, even though even you're from here. So, like, there was really that kind of feeling in the community, like, of, like, we're not wanted. So, when that happened, like, c- can you see why I kind of, like, realized, like, oh, shoot, like, I have to get involved? Because all these things kind of started building up on each other. Um
0: And it was urgent for you. It was
1: in your neighborhood.
0: <clears throat> I'm seeing it every
1: day. Yeah. So, you know, like... That's the, you know, that's the legends, right? So people coaches didn't like that. So in 2016, 2014, they have changes to city council, but that kind of puts off like, I think that put the fire in me. Like, all right, like I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get, learn about politics because I want to be someone that could help out if something that ha- ever, ever, ever happens again. You know, maybe on the, on the campaign side, like being someone's campaign manager or volunteer, like I just want to go to UC Irvine and learn politics. So I can like apply those skills and codes to me. So that, that really what really it came down to. It. So, you know, I go to UCI, major in politics and religion. I get involved really early on with local politics. So I, I join the, um, Orange County Young Democrats and I'm 18. Get hired to be on a campaign in Irvine and I start volunteering in Irvine. And after that race, I went to a race in Santana for, for Joe Dunn, who lost against Luke Korea, who's now in Congress. After that, I went to, Bulletin Buena Park area, campaign for Sharon Cork Soba, the current state assemblywoman up there. But the, the, the trend you see is that I wasn't doing it in Costa Mesa, right? And that was kind of intentional because all politics is local and in Costa Mesa, there's really combative, former politics here. And I just knew like when I come to Costa Mesa, like I want to be ready. Like I want to make my mistakes and I want to grow and learn in other areas so that when I come home, I'm like ready. So, the more I look at my life, the more I realize I was probably like meant for this, like in a intrinsic sense. But that's kind of like, my general story, you know, like my parents shaped me, my my community made, made me react to things that put the desire to me to want to like, learn about politics. And and the thing that I'll say this, right, because you know I believe Macaulay has a great quote, which is in life it's half luck, half skill, right? I, I think I, I took my time to develop a skill set in in politics, right, in campaigning, and and that was beneficial to me. But luck is also a part of it because, coincidentally, like, the, the area that I grew up in became a district, right? Like, so I had all these skill sets that I was intentionally learning to, like, fight for my community under the assumption that I would be helping out someone else get elected because I'm, I'm still young. And then when it came down to it, I realized, oh, shoot, no one's jumping into my election. Like, I have to jump in. Like, it, it was one of those, like, coming you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, that's why I say it's like, yeah. yeah, I, I, I do think it was just kind of some providence involved here, just because my life is just, I don't want to say perfect, but like a lot of things make sense the more I look back on them, you know.
0: Uh, so I want to, I want to follow up on that. So,
1: yeah,
0: uh, skill versus luck, like having two parents that love you and care about you and guide you, that's like like a huge luck factor that mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to actually have two growing up. But the population that we work with, and most of those kids were not so lucky. Trying to imagine, like, what what would life be like if, if one or both of your parents weren't there, and how how would your life have changed in that circumstance? Um,
1: yeah. Well, well, I, I can actually talk about that a bit, Michael. You know, my parents divorced when I was in middle school, actually. Okay. So, um like you said, they're both both loving parents, like. But I did have that kind of like traumatic experience. With, with 12 and 13 year olds like my parents divorcing and uh, you know, like, and I don't mean to like diminish what anyone's going through in, in, in your program because I mean, I'm sure we have some people who are going through some hard times right now, but I just, I just want to mention that for one quick thing. It's like, like a lot of people peg me as someone who wouldn't make, make it out or wouldn't be successful because my parents got divorced, right? There's that stigma in that community where if your parents get divorced, like you can get a problem child and like you're not going to do great. And to an extent, I was problem child in middle school. Like I I was very, very rambunctious, I was acting out for attention and, you know, it it took my teachers in in high school to sit me down and be like, hey, like you're a smart kid. Like why are you like why are you acting out? Like what's going on? Like like you have this potential in you. Like why are you not using it kind of thing, right? And I think sometimes you need someone to center you and help you help you out in those tough times. Someone to rely on. But I also don't think that that so much be defined by the by the hardships, you know. Like I think, I think your hardships make you the person you are. Like they're part of your of your sacred history, right? Like like they will always be a part of your life. But I think once you look back on it, right, and it's, it's always looking back in life when you see how much it makes you grown and how much you've grown from that. So to, you, know, you know you know to anyone that's like in a worse situation than I was, I I still want to say I have faith in you because if if i can can overcome you know my parents divorce and and get where i'm at i'm sure you can overcome your struggles no matter if they're bigger or smaller because i think as human beings we have like a capability to like be reborn in some ways and like overcome our challenges and i think part of that part of that process in my opinion really is like developing the skills you have you know whatever they may be look like if you're a good writer keep writing you know you know who knows may, maybe one day a bit of luck will come, and someone can give you an internship somewhere. Or, you know, if if you're a good athlete, like maybe you work hard, you can go to the gym, and someone sees you and says, "Hey, be part of my club team. I'll feel you like kind of book a week to play." Like, there's there's things you can do in any situation you're in to improve your skill set, so that when so that when your lucky break does come, you're, you're able to fully capitalize on it. Because because that's the point of the quote from Machiavelli. It's like, like great men require skill and luck because they need to be skillful enough to take advantage of the luck they get, but also have a skill set to use it. And that always, that always inspired me because it meant like anyone could come up. It just a matter of time.
0: <clears throat> That's good. That's good. I would definitely agree with that. Um, but you still, so you, you need to have some level of inner drive and building your skills, but you, you need to have that village around you at some point in mm-hmm. you know, certain, in situations as well. So you had some teachers that, you know, mm-hmm. said, Hey, Manuel, get your, get yourself together, man. Um, and that, you know, helped steer you a little bit when you were going off course. Um, I had similar situations as well growing up where I was being an idiot for a while and needed people to uh, tell me so and help me kind of, um, update things and get on the right track again. Uh, and so that's kind of, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the main things that we do as an organization is come in and support kids 12 to 24 that are in, you know, maybe they're off track a little bit. Or maybe they're really off track or, you know, and maybe it's their fault and maybe it's not their fault and maybe it's a little bit of everything, um, mixed together, but they still need that. You need people at some point. And so we try to be those people there that, are your teacher or they're my parents or they're that no, adult. That, that's, yeah.
1: No, that's, that's so important. And I'm so happy that, that, that you guys are doing that, uh, and giving people that space to, to, to like have some motivation and, and support. Cause I, I genuinely agree with you. Like I think it takes a village, you know, like, like people can point to me and, and say how amazing it is that the 23 year old won an election. And I think it's true, but don't forget the people that built me up, like my parents, my teachers. You know, I had help from people in the election. Like, I did not win this on myself. I I did not make my website alone. I did, I did not craft my policy alone. I did not hit doors alone. Like, it was a team effort. And, um, I think the fact that that, the fact that Send with Kids has that ability to help young, mentor young people, I think that's so invaluable. It's so, it's so critical in, in so many different ways.
0: So let's touch on, uh, let's touch on Costa Mesa and, some of the things that you guys have going in terms of homelessness initiatives. I and mean, you guys are actually pretty active in that space and have been for, maybe you can just get us up to speed on kind of what's what's happening in Costa Mesa from a homeless homelessness issue standpoint.
1: Yeah, just so you guys know, like I, I, I'll begin in the middle, but I'll, I'll jump to the end, right? Like, so my first meeting at city council ever, we vote on a homeless shelter and that's incredible. But like I said, <laughs> most things are, are, are team are things. So prior to that vote in twenty eight in 20 uh in 2019, the City of Costa Mesa had been already investing in social workers for homeless folks. So we had we had a database of like who was homeless in Costa Mesa and what their general needs were. So when we got elected in 2018, you know we realized we had a window of opportunity, right? And most people have this when they get elected. Like your first two, three months, people are rosy with you because you're new. And that's typically when big policy gets gets passed, not just locally, but in any level of governance, right? So those first few months, we pass homeless shelter. And our model was geared towards housing. So we have a very housing-centric homeless, homeless shelter model where everyone that comes into our homeless shelter by by day two or three will have a plan of how to get housing. Right. So well, we've done a very, very variety of things. We have reached out to, to people's family members in other states, to see if they'll take them in. You know, some people are veterans, so we try to get them veteran housing. Some people may have mental illnesses or drug addictions, so we try getting them, um, those right resources. But essentially our entire model is geared in the fact that the only crime, not only crime, the only, um, the only like, like issue someone has who's homeless is that they're homeless. Like they need a home. They're without a home homeless. So that's been really our focus. I, I wanted to get numbers for you to give you exact numbers of how, how people we've housed. Unfortunately, all I can really find are just the numbers from February, because we haven't had an update in a while because of the crisis. But our, our model is working. I believe we had, and I could be wrong, so I think it was like 37 people um housed by by, by by our last update. And the model really works, in my opinion. You know, the, the residents of the shelter are able to leave the shelter, right? We have a bus, Shuttle that will drop them off at preset locations and pick them up at those locations. You know they're required to be to be off drugs and at our shelter, um, and they're required to follow our rules. You know like we have, we have we have a curfew, we have breakfast times. Like you know, we want to do our best to give people the opportunity to like you know if they're a young person who goes to school that's fine go to school. Like you know if, if someone wants to work, walk the shelter they can do that. We we I I've met people. When I tour the shelter who, who are workers, like they're like day laborers and they come back to the shelter. And that just shows you like the, the fact that like it's people of all walks of life. You know, I think it's a, it's a common misconception that people who are homeless are like all these juggies and just like people who aren't fit for society, but it's not like there's some people there who had one bad luck and didn't have enough savings. There's young folks there who don't have a place to go because they can keep that at home. Like, like there's so much more to homelessness than just like the misconception of it. And I think our model is a lot to really address the root issue, which is like, hey, let's get you housing, because that's the real issue.
0: Yeah, and it comes back to the village, the idea of it takes a village. So if you if you don't have that village, then one, you know, misstep, one lost job, or one accident <coughs> can make you homeless. Um, and especially yeah. in, especially in Orange County, where affordable housing is such a pain point, um, as you as you well know as well. Um, oh yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's an existing shelter in Costa Mesa, but you guys are also working on a more
1: permanent? Permanent location, yeah. yeah. So, so we, our current shelter is at the, uh, Church of Nazarene, um, right near Lion's Park. It's a temporary shelter. The reason why it's temporary is because we were acquiring a property on Airway and we're finally developing it and, and building it out. That shelter will be a lot bigger. Our current shelter only has 50 beds. The one we have building could go up to potentially have 100 beds. Um, you know, one thing we know too is like there, there's president now in, in, our, superior court. I think we're court 11 where you are not able to tell someone to like not loiter in your city unless it's a person to stay. So a lot of cities are going to have to face, face their implications of if they want to pass anti-camping ordinance laws to like, like prohibit people from like laying on the ground or homeless and like picking up sidewalks. They're going to have a shelter in the city or have a contract with a different city for, 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 for shelter services. So, you know, we wanted to be forefront on this issue. We want to have, have a permanent location that wasn't in our in our state areas. Luckily, it's been going really great. No complaints from the neighbors so far on the shelter we have currently. But we just wanted to make sure, like, we're being as careful as possible for our residents and for our, our, our homeless folks as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, and we so our stand Up for kids office is in Costa Mesa, Um so we just moved into Costa Mesa in February. Um, we've had a we've got a pretty good history of doing work in Costa Mesa, so we're well connected with Trellis and with the Crossing <clears throat> Church, and we've done some weekly meetings at the Someone Cares soup kitchen.
1: Yes, right in my district, I love it.
0: Yeah, so yeah, so we've got a pretty rich history of being connected into Costa Mesa and. Obviously, now that we're offices there, we're looking to get even more integrated. Um, and again, we're in the 12 to 24 age range, so we'd be looking at potential middle school and high school connections um with the at-risk population. And I, don't, I don't know if we got into this or not, but M- McKinney-Vento, mm-hmm. which is the it's a looser definition of homeless, uh, where you may not be sleeping under the stars, but you're in a home stress environment. Uh, living in a car or a motel or a highly populated apartment situation, uh, and so that is about that is a good chunk of our focus these days. On uh, from an organizational standpoint, so on the preventative side, so helping these youth get through school, give them an after-school opportunity or an in-school opportunity to channel their time and. Energy to maybe something a little more positively focused than what other things can pull youth in the wrong directions. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll continue to, uh, help out, um, with the Costa Mesa homelessness initiatives that you guys have going on. And I'm excited to kind of get more integrated with the city.
1: I'm looking for that that as well. I mean, we always want to have good partners in Costa Mesa and, no, you know, Chilis is a great organization right here in Costa Mesa as well. So I'm very happy you're, you're li- linked in with them because they're, they're a great, great group.
0: All right. So we're going to close this up. So what's one thing you would want to leave with our listeners today? Let's focus on within the homelessness realm in Costa Mesa.
1: There's, there's my, I don't know if it's even glad to those that you hear this the most, but like, you know, if there's, there's someone who is, experienced homeless, homelessness, like, don't don't get discouraged like the the tide of the country is changing we are being more empathetic to people who are homeless and i think people are realizing that the the, the root of it is more systemic than we want to believe it is you know with terms of like rent being too high not being enough a, a social safety net in our system and you know all i want to say to you is like if you need to go to a homeless shelter like do so like our children is good in Costa mesa, you know we have set rules we have curfews like you're going to be safe there and and don't be don't be don't be scared or ashamed of going to a homeless shelter because it's something we have to stigmatize and, and there's nothing wrong with being homeless and there's nothing wrong with getting a good place to sleep at night and and getting a plan together to make sure you can like find the next steps in your life
0: thank you it's it's nice to know that there are uh <laughs> advocates at the city council level in Costa Mesa that are looking out for this issue. Like you said, it kind of feels like we're, feels to me a little bit like we're going in the wrong direction, but it's it's nice to see that there are some initiatives and there, like you said, the tide is turning a little bit and hopefully it becomes a more, um, something that gets even more focused moving forward and we can get people off the streets and um, fix this this very fixable issue. So thanks for, thanks for joining us, uh, Councilman Chavez. Uh, it's been great. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you for listening today to Listen Up, the Stand Up For Kids podcast. A big thank you to our production team consisting of associate producer, Billy Quinn, and editors, Arriba Kauka, Pablo Ortega, and Michelle Bernay. Find us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support Stand Up For Kids, please share this podcast with family, friends, and colleagues. Also, check out our website at standupforkids.org slash orange county, and you can email me directly at Michael O at standupforkids.org to learn more. Please also consider a donation to help getting kids off the streets. 95 cents out of every dollar donated goes directly to support our kids. I'm your host, Michael Olson, Director of Development at Stand Up For Kids Orange County. Thanks for listening and have a great day.